BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And then last Saturday, I was traveling. I was in the Midwest, uh, which is an interesting place to be right now in terms of electoral politics in part. Uh, because a lot of attention and focus is on some of those battleground states, some of the swing states. What will the Midwest do? Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, some of those other crucial states that will really play a very pivotal role in the 2024 uh, election, which I believe is going to be between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. But that's not what I wanted to talk to you guys about on the show. I just wanted to let you know where I've been. You know, while I've been traveling lately, I've thought about a lot of different things. And this topic in particular is something that I thought in terms of politics, in terms of everything we're sort of battling and dealing with in the country right now, personal relationships, etc. I thought bias was a topic that would be important in terms of what most of you deal with at work, uh, within your relationships, with your family members, your children or friends. And it certainly is a topic that I believe has a lot of prevalence in politics, battling your bias. I mean, we, we all are biased in some really unique ways. I mean, it's it's like we all got it, whether we like it or not. And it's sort of that filter in our heads that sort of colors the world we see. It's all about me or all about you. It's 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 how we view the world. And we really aren't interested <laughs> in what other people think, particularly views of people that we just don't disagree with or views that we may find to be offensive. And so in some ways, it sort of makes us all prisoners of our own perspectives. It's like we've got this little inner narrative and it's narrated by us. Uh, starring us, and sometimes it's downright self-serving. And in many ways, I think a lot of us, myself included, we hear the things we want to hear, we see the things we want to see, and believe what we want to believe. And it's comfortable, I suppose, right? I mean, it's even comfortable for me. I'm on television almost every day now, and oftentimes I, I have to force myself, I have to remind myself to be objective in my perspectives to be objective in how I'm dealing with things, uh, to be objective in how I'm sort of giving my political assessment on TV. Because the reality is, while I may have my particular point of view, uh, that particular point of view isn't shared by a lot of people. But here's the the interesting part um, about that. I think the world, in many ways, is not black and white. It's not just left or right, right or wrong. And it's unique. And there's a whole lot of complexities that sort of binds us, a lot of beauty and a whole lot of ugliness. And so when you think about battling your bias, it's in many ways not really for the faint of heart. It's not an easy thing to do. We, we again, always find ourselves trying to have a different perspective on people, have a different perspective on cultures. And sometimes we get there, sometimes we don't. Uh, But the question is, when you're talking to somebody, 
that may have a different worldview from you or a different political view from you. Do we understand all of the biases that sort of may be layered? All of the experiences that may have shaped this person? Or do, do we ever really think about that? I don't think most of us do. And understanding that in many ways certainly could help, I would argue, in how we navigate different situations. So people say, well, I don't understand how someone could have this view on a certain person's political beliefs or religious beliefs or maybe ethnic background. Where did this stuff come from? I mean, we're all born without any of these biases, right? Think about it in terms of politics, maybe in terms of race. I mean, babies aren't born racist. Parents teach and instill racist values or perceptions or bigotry about other people or other cultures. You think about politics. Now, you know, we're going to see some differences, whether you're a liberal or conservative. Inherently, you're going to see some differences. But when you view a liberal, if you're a conservative, as an innate threat to your existence, or if you're a conservative, you view a liberal as an innate threat to your existence, how in the world did so many people get that far? Where have all of these sort of pent-up aggressions or, con- or conceptions, maybe even misconceptions, I should say, where were they formed? How were they formed? And in understanding the formulation of these things, perhaps it sort of can help us unpack where people are. And from there, perhaps we would be better suited at navigating politics, at navigating topics about race. Now, there are going to be some people who are going to say, I'm not biased. What I view is the truth, and there is nothing you could do to tell me otherwise. There's no way you're going to change my mind. Those people certainly exist, and, 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 and I acknowledge that. But I'm not convinced that that is most people. I think innately human beings are curious creatures. I think being stuck in the same place, I think being surrounded by similar people and not around diverse people or unique crowds, I think that certainly creates a barrier. It prohibits one from being more open-minded or viewing things differently. But those things can change. But here are my thoughts. When you challenge your own biases, you're opening up, in my view, a window to a world you never knew existed. That's what I'm saying here. When you're sort of in your own tribe, it's hard to look at things differently. And when you sort of embrace a diversity of thoughts, diversity of people, you really do enhance the human experience. And I think that's what most people want. I mean, you look at this at, the, at a base level. Social psychologists have told us this for years. There's a ton of research on this. Uh, we're very communal creatures. But it's only when you're sort of segmented um, among and around similar people and similar people only that these biases form, and I would even argue over time they harden to the point where it becomes almost impossible to talk to people about certain issues. And, and that's a reality that a lot of us have a very difficult time dealing with. But I, I want to bring on my guest to sort of help me break this down. His name is Kevin Dixie. Uh, this guy is a phenomenal individual. He runs a nonprofit organization titled Aiming for the Truth. Uh, he's a civil rights advocate, firearms coach and expert. 
particularly for African-Americans. He focuses a lot on de-escalation in the black community. Uh, his nonprofit focuses on black men and fatherhood. His nonprofit focuses on black youth, particularly boys. And so I'm very, very proud of the work that he's doing as a black man because I, I think that a lot of our young black men just need some attention and some guidance. And I think the onus is on us, those of us who have, you know, sort of gotten it right a little bit more than some of the others to sort of help pick them up, uh, to sort of show them the way, if you will, because if not us, then who? So, Kevin Dixie, welcome to the Sir Michael Singleton Show. Thanks for being here, brother. No, thank you so much for having me on, man. Really appreciate it. So, Kevin, and thank you for the kind intro as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think very the, nice of you. I think the world of you, man, and I, I love what you're doing in terms of black men in our community and fatherhood and 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 teaching guys how to be, be better dads. Because the reality is, I think you mentioned this once a while ago when we talked, Kevin. A lot of the guys, the men that become fathers, they never had that example. And so you're bringing together a collective of dads who are sort of learning together, who are encouraging each other together. And that's so important, man. Uh, you know, there's all, a lot of stats and misnomers that people love to say about black fatherhood. Uh, and a lot of people, in my opinion, are so ready to shoot us down in terms of we're not there, we're not present enough. And there are guys like you who are really changing that misnomer. Uh, you're working with a lot of our black youth. I mean, oftentimes we only hear about the negative things uh, in urban cities. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. Some of this behavior isn't acceptable. It, it frustrates me. It, it angers me. Uh, but it's one thing to complain about some of the things that we see that are occurring with some of our black boys. But it's a whole nother thing to say, I see the problem and I'm going to try to be a solution to the problem. And, and you've always been a solution oriented person, which I've always valued. And that's why I really wanted to talk about this topic, battling your bias on the show today, Kevin, because I know this is something that you've spent a lot of time on. You're working on a book about it. Sort of break this down a little bit for me and the audience. Battling your bias. What is it? What does that mean? It, it means, you know, when we when you establish a bias in life, well, here's the thing. Some of us have biases that we've established, right? Environment plays into that. So if I've come up in a particular environment that has a particular set of beliefs, uh, maybe my culture does it, maybe just uh, the socioeconomic environment does it, I'll establish a bias. For an example, a loose example, uh, we were always taught in the late 80s, early 90s that all white people had money, right? And I'm growing up in the hood, we don't have social media, and whenever we would travel to an area that was predominantly Caucasian, all of those areas looked better than mine. So it fed that bias. So as a child, and it wasn't with my, malicious intent or anything i wasn't looking to take anything from anybody i'm like man it must be great to be white because you get money right <laughs> which means you can eat every day which means you can you know like you can go do cool stuff because we used to hear about people like going to the water parks all the time and doing that stuff and my mom would take us every now take me every now and then when she could really muster up the money but i'm like man must be nice for you guys to be able to take weekend trips and back then we didn't have social media but you know you have movies and then you see the white families like going off to the grand canyon and having this go like man that must be great you know Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. 
The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So I formed which what most would call an innocent bias, wrong, but still innocent. Be like, oh, to be white and to have money must be awesome because if you're white, you got money, right? Um, and then also a negative bias that formed against my own people in my own community is that, all right, because of the turmoil that's happening, because of the things that I'm seeing every single day, you know, I had to check myself. And this is a moment of honesty. And I was a young kid when I started this. But I told people, like, through our bias as being a filter of it. I was actually born, bred, and raised to kill black men. And my bias is to think that they were wrong, hateful, and trying to deprive me of my freedom and my life. Or at least the white people might have their money, but they're not bothering me. Get what I'm saying? So both of those things unhealthy. Now, now, and so un- now even unpack when you say you were, you were trained by whom. I, I need you to un- – because – for me, and when I hear that, man, I'm like, well, wait, wait a minute, what the, what the hell are you saying here? So I'm going to need you to unpack what you're saying. <laughs> Trained means in, inadvertently. Like it's, so we take our soldiers that go to war, right? And I'm actually out here training Americans today. I'm taking a break from them, uh, talking to you, but that's what I'm doing. I'm equipping people with what they need to do an attendant job if they have to do it. But that's kind of in reverse. Like we're not, it's not the training I'm doing today and not how we train our military boys and girls. So when you say train, so, so I, hold on, Kevin. So when you say train, do you mean, because I, mm-hmm. I want to be very clear about this because it's a black audience here and, and that's ruffling my feathers. So I would definitely want to be clear for the audience. You're not saying your parents mm-hmm. train you. You're saying culture or you're no, saying no, the perpetuation no, no, no. of society always showing black men through a negative lens. Like, like break, I'm just trying to unpack this. So what it goes to is if you look at, now I grew up in the crack 90s, Walnut Park, St. Louis, Missouri. Right. So it's an inner city doing the crack 90s. And what I realized is now nobody came and said that person bad. But if my environment is is showing me because of this, when I say train, I mean, literally by the what the government set up. If you set up any environment and you fill it full of drugs and poverty, you're going to get a lot of crime. I don't care who the people are. I don't care what part of earth you do it. You're going to get a lot of crime. And so what happened through through yanking the dads out the home through the welfare system, through taking the Iran-Contra conflict, CIA, you know, Oliver North, and you pumping Ronald Reagan, you pumping drugs into our neighborhoods, drugs, cocaine was one thing, crack came into be another, took over, flooded the neighborhoods with violence. You had to survive. Mm, to survive okay. that, you had to condition yourself to fight back against your own community because those were the people close to you, which proximity, you're going to be the victim of that violence. So I had to fight back. Thus, I was being through the socioeconomic and structures that were put forth, no dads, drugs, poverty, no jobs, uh, criminal system having money invested into it and just the prisons to lock us up, but not programs to fix it in the first place. Mm. You were training me to survive. Thus, survival meant killing people that look like me. Got it. Got it. Kevin, let me ask you this. Because I want to unpack this a little bit further before we move on. Do you think, why has this type of targeting been so specific against people in our community, number one? And number two, what can we as black, as a black community do to recognize this and then say, wait a minute here, we we see what what's going on. We got to tr- do the best we can to fight against these sort of pressures, the drugs in the community, the illicit illegal firearms. You and I both gun owners. We, we, we believe black people own guns. 
But the way they do this, mm-hmm. when you foster this type of environment, we know what it's going to lead to when you put those types of things in, in that environment. So why, number one, do you think this is happening in our communities? And then two, what can we do to recognize it more and then try to combat it? Well, the first thing we need to do, and it's, it's a, I'm glad you asked the question. The first thing we need to do is acknowledge what has been set forth, right? You, it, a lot of times people think that in today's age, last week was an eternity ago, right? Um, but you got to remember, man, it was just the, the late 60s when we even got civil rights. And we still have to fight for those. And then as soon as we start rebounding from that, we get things like the ominous crime bill in 94 that sets us back again. So there were things that happened that people have actually apologized for that absolutely targeted our communities and set them back. We have to acknowledge that. And all the things, all the consequences of those actions. Here's the thing, though. As far as fixing it, you can't use that as a crutch. That's number one. You have to acknowledge it for what it is, but it is not time to sit and pout. Because once you can acknowledge it, And I will say the same thing to my kids. Oh, you acknowledge the problem. Now you can own it and do better. So if we can acknowledge the problems and identify them, now we can own it and we can move forward and we can do better. And so that starts with the people that you see as the problem. You know, now, and I get it, because parents aren't really raising their kids necessarily to be able to be corrected, right? Good luck on telling a 16-year-old to stop walking down the middle of the street on his cell phone blocking traffic. You're probably going to have to fight the kid. Right. Because parents aren't teaching kids to be able to accept correction from outside figures. So I'm not saying it's not an uphill battle, but it needs to start at the source. What black people should stop doing, especially some black men that are successful, what they do is they become successful. They turn their nose up, say, I'm glad I made it out. And they give none of the lessons back. So we're not getting we're not getting things like we would in Black Wall Street where people are bringing information and education back to say, hey, this is the way you need to go. This is a better move and doing it with genuine love. Because a lot of these kids, man, you have to face fact. If they haven't seen authority or if they've been taught not to necessarily respect authority, if you're 15 years or senior, the moment you speak to them, they're going to resent you. Right. Unless you're doing something that they consider to be favorable. So you have to understand how to how to reconcile some of the trauma and things that these kids are going through, because if we can send an 18 year old off to war for four years and they come back with PTSD. Imagine what a kid that that's grown up in it for 18 years dealing with chaos every single day is going through. So you have to be careful. Now, with the now, way that now you expl- approach expl- it, but now, Wait a minute, Kev. Wait a minute. Explain that piece. Right. Because I think that that's really important. You you drew, drew or you're drawing that comparison about, OK, if you think someone went to war with PTSD, well, we have black kids in particular in America who, who are living in it every single uh, unpack that. Well, every single day. So imagine you're a you're a child, you're 13 years old and every day you walk outside, there is chaos every day, violent chaos. And you live through that to your 20. So if we can take a soldier, and we send them to war for four years, and they see conflict, and then America as a whole can say, and I do not like using Chicago as an example, but because everybody else was, it makes sense. And we nicknamed Chicago Chirac. And the reason they did that is because we were losing more kids in Chicago than we were soldiers at war. So truly, it is a battlefield. And so if we are losing that many kids, and these kids are growing up every single day seeing that, they're in a war zone. So they're going through trauma. They're having traumatic effects that are bothering them. The difference is nobody's there to address it. Nobody's there to tell them that they're going through trauma. We've treated it like it's an everyday part of life with them. And then we wonder why they're acting out a certain way. Yeah, but, but, but some people would say, and I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, not because I believe this, but just because I'm, I'm trying to 
go somewhere with this conversation. Some people would say, well, you know, if the Democrats did better, then these problems wouldn't exist. Or some people would mm-hmm. say, oh, if it's hip-hop culture and these, if it didn't listen to rap music, these problems wouldn't exist. Hell, I listen to rap music every day. I love rap music, Kevin. I think it's cool music. I love it when I'm working out. I love it when I'm driving. I'm not out there shooting people. Robbing. Some people in our society will point to all of these different things and say, well, if it's if they just don't do that, then their behavior would improve. What what do you say to those people? You know, first of all, because death metal is any better. Um, and then <laughs> moving, <laughs> moving forward, it's, it's one, yeah, okay. Can you absolutely say that, hey, man, if these areas have been ran by this political affiliation or their influence for the last 60, 70 years, then maybe that's a problem, especially if you can say that it's a, that these programs have affected these communities. Absolutely. I would agree. I would agree. Absolutely. And then I will also put that and say, hey, well, what are you doing to help out this group of Americans to overcome that? Because what I would say to the other political party is, and I've said this several times, I don't see you. You know when I see you, when you, 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 you're on the news and you're saying, oh, they suck. It wouldn't be this way if we were there. But then you never run there. You never bring your policies there. You know what I see you do? You point in my communities and say, look at those thugs, look at those criminals. And then you will turn around and blame your political opposition for the situation that is. And then we're like, well, what you got? And you're like, oh, nothing. You won't walk down my street. You won't come there and have an honest conversation. And when you do, you send a puppet. You do not send somebody who is truly represented from the bottom of their heart. You're not going to send me uh, people that I know truly have the community's best interest. You're going to send me somebody that has the same hue as the community, but echoing and parroting your talking points, period. That's number one. Wow. Um, Number two, influence is going to be, I would agree to say, when they are, what the point they're trying to make is music is influencing this. Well, first of all, I listen to all kind of music coming up. Uh, Brother Lynch Hung was a rapper I listened to. He talked about decapping people and eating their brains, and I've never done that. Okay, um, it was entertainment. Now, what I will say is, we do need to give kids that might relate to music for their influence a different source of influence to drive things from. Mm-hmm. I don't prohibit my son from listening to rap music. I don't. I'm not trying to shelter him that way. Um, I've told him he's not allowed to listen to, you know, cut the music down with a lot of swearing. I asked that he does, you know, listen to the edited versions of the music. I have requested that. But he listened to rap music. My son has been listening to rap music for years, and he's on his way to the Air Force, um, a star athlete, and excels in school and is one of the kindest kids you will ever meet. He's a uh, yes, sir, no, sir type of kid. Um, so you, we just need another influence for the kids. What we can't do is say, oh, we need to take something away that's cool to you, that you like, that you can dance to and vibe to and be live with, and then tell you, well, that's what's guiding you down the wrong path, so we need to take that from you. When you go to murder, I mean, let's face facts, man. I, I watched The Terminator, like the original one. How many people did he kill? I didn't go out and murder anybody, right? So we need to stop using it as a lazy excuse. But I will say that they're not wrong in saying that we need to have a different influence substitute for that influence it should be entertainment Mm -hmm. and not influence well on that kev i'm gonna take a quick break Uh, this is the sure michael singleton show my guest kevin dixie uh the phone lines are open give us a call we'll be right back after this quick break
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Michael Singh with the show. My guest for today is Kevin Dixie. And we're talking battling your bias, but we sort of went in a different direction uh, so to sort of open up the topic. Kevin, I want to bring us back to the initial topic of, of battling your bias. And I think there there is some prevalence to this topic in terms of some, some things you said, how folks view the black community in this light but yet don't want to take accountability for what led to the conditions in our community. And, and that does involve a whole lot of bias. So going back to the battling your, your bias focal point, if you will, what, how does one get out of that, right? Like, like if you're a person who is viewing a community or you're viewing an individual or you're viewing I don't know, a political belief or a religious belief or hell, a gender, whatever the case may be. How does one unpack this bias knowingly? I mean, is this a conscious bias? Is it a subconscious bias? Well, the first thing you have to do is uh, own it. That's number one, man. You got to own it. You got to own that you that you might have an unhealthy bias. Um, Albert Einstein and I might get this quote slightly wrong, but I'm going to say he quoted, he said, it is easier to dismantle an atom than it is to undo a prejudice or bias. Oh, wow. All right. Um, so when we have those things that are sitting in us, the first thing we need to do is acknowledge it. Am I looking at the world the wrong way? All right. And am I sheltering myself from things that could be absolutely beautiful? And here's the thing about a bias. Some of it you just kind of adapted, right? You, you see things like, you're like, okay, yeah, this is how I feel about that person. I'm, I'm, I'm having this preconceived notion about this thing or that person. But majority of them were given to you. They're not even yours. You're carrying around somebody else's bias, what your granddad said, what your dad said, what your mom said, what your neighbor said, what your best friend's been saying for years. You're carrying around the bias of other people. Most of them aren't even your own. They're a collective. And a lot of people don't take time to sit and diagnose. So if I am a, uh, a person that is non-black and I look at black people and because of fashion, right? So say I'm in, I'm on Rodale Drive mm-hmm. and I happen to see a 25-year-old a black guy sagging his pants, um, you know, talking a certain way with a grill in his mouth. Then the bias is, look at this thug, right? What does thugs say? Gangster, somebody's going to be looking to take from me and mine. That's the scourge of society. All these things that come with the, with the thug name. And you're biased toward them because of the way they look. You're saying you have to be a thug. This is my preconceived notion about you. The guy's jeans cost $1,500. The grill in his mouth is $100,000, $100, $100, right? That's fashion. It's not a thug. 
So God is adapting a certain fashion. But your bias won't allow you to engage in a conversation with him, which he could be the next investor in your next financial project you got coming up. Right. But your bias is saying thug because of his fashion. Right. No different. When I was told as a, as a young kid, the NRA is the KKK. I was told all white men with guns are racist and they want to kill you. But what if I would have held on to that? What if I would have adopted that? That's my preconceived notion of you, because somebody else told me you're white. You have a gun or you believe in gun rights and you're a member of the NRA. You are absolutely the KKK. And I'm going to carry that with me the rest of my life. How far would I be right now? Well, I right? will but say, I had to do this I, I work will, as a child. I will say this. I, I'm going to be honest, Kevin. I'm not a fan of the NRA. I used to have a membership. I ended it. And in part because of their inability to respond to the Fet Philando Castile incident. And that brother was a law-abiding gun owner carrying a license. And they said nothing. But I just want to put that in there. I get people have their views about the NRA. But personally, I don't rock with them, bro. But, I, I just, but I'm going to let you go ahead. I just had to let you know where I stand on them. Oh, no, that's absolutely fine because I don't rock with them either. <laughs> just saying <laughs> but that all okay, the white so members of them aren't racist. Okay, you know no, what I mean? Okay, okay, I get your um, point. So to be able to, to, to break that down, but just side note, I will absolutely say the reason I don't rock with them because they lied about the efforts they would take to help out the black community. Flat out, and they need to own it, apologize, and fix it. And until they do, I'm with you. Um, the, the biases that people are carrying, the hard work, so your question was how do we start? The hard work starts within yourself recognizing what's yours, recognizing what was passed down to you, and then you need to go out and intentionally break those things. You need to challenge them. For example, I didn't hold on to the bias I just gave you. I didn't, I didn't keep that preconceived notion yeah, not every white about person all white is men that might be members of the NRA and have a gun. Yeah, sure. And I don't so think, I'm training I don't, I don't everyone every... on my range today mm-hmm. that I'm training is a white guy. Every last one of them. Learning from a black guy. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, learning from a black guy in South Carolina. Take that. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So at a, at a school owned by a white guy, but I'm the one that's in here teaching it today. Uh, so we, but I, I wouldn't be far if I didn't break those things down. So we have to look inwardly, right? I had an altercation with a gentleman um, in 2018 in Las Vegas. And I was just launched my gun that talks about black history. And I just launched my gun and I'm on a real good high that day, right? Mm-hmm. Just a natural high. I'm feeling good. I did some historic. I'm proud of him. Like mama, Oh, I know my mom is so proud of me right now. Like I went from that environment, told I was going to go to prison all the way to the cover of Time magazine. Like, this is awesome. Right. I'm proud. I'm feeling good. And I'm wearing one of my hoodies that says my ancestors paid the price. I'm just a receipt. Right. I am feeling good. Great. And I'm celebrating with the crowd that's around this event. And this Native American guy. Uh, walks up and he's reading my shirt. So I open my arms where he can like read the hoodie. And long story short, what he basically said is your ancestors didn't do anything. I'm like, well, that's kind of offensive, but I'm not going to let you ruin my high today. Right? Like, you know, and he starts saying, oh, how his people really suffered. I'm like, I'm not arguing that, man. Everybody understands that Native Americans absolutely uh, have a place at this conversation, if not the place in American history to have that conversation. And he goes on and on. And then he tries to instigate a fist fight, right? Now, this guy has cauliflower ears, so I can tell that he's been on the mat a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also have a certain skill set, and I'm not going to let any grown man just back me into a corner. So I advised him to walk away. He did eventually listen, and he walked away. But he was Native American, and he was had a, some chew, spitting in one cup and drinking out the other. And I'm standing there like, why would a dude – Walk up to another dude that's not bothering anybody, that's smiling, having a good time, and want to fight him because of his hoodie. Who does that? And somebody said, 
uh, Indian with fire water does. Like, hmm. So a, do I now carry that and a, say, a racist and I know statement. people might say it's a stereotype, but I look I mean, at it all Native Americans and say, if I see a Native American with alcohol, he's a drunk, a-hole, then now wants to have a physical conflict with me? Or do I have to take that as an individual having a bad day? Mm, I get your point. So, 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 so I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, you use the analogy about gun owners who may be members of the NRA or whatever the case may be. Uh, to say, like, not all white people are racist. I think that's true any more than some person may look at your other example, the guy in Beverly Hills who's sagging his pants or whatever, or whatever, has dreadlocks, whatever, and they say, oh, this guy's a thug and a criminal. And like you said, this guy could fund this other person's entire idea or entrepreneurial pr- pursuit. So, so you can't allow these biases or an individual's actions allow you to have perceptions about an entire group, including within our own community to, to, to your earlier point about how we have biases about other people who look like us, uh, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Kevin, I, I got a couple calls in. And so I want to, I want to get those calls in before we continue the conversation. When we're talking about battling your bias and boy, this is a fascinating conversation. Uh, Thomas, uh, who do we have on the line? Uh, we have Eric. He has a comment about um, owning our bias. Let's go to Eric. Eric, welcome uh, to the Sure Michael Singleton Show. You're on with Sure Michael and Kevin Dixie. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, this is a really fascinating uh, conversation. And, you know, I, I uh, you know, have had to look at my own uh, biases, particularly uh, when I hear right-wing media uh, sometimes it's very, very difficult for me to listen to it, but I give myself uh, at least an opportunity to try to understand their perspective. And a lot of, uh, for instance, the idea that we should have a colorblind society, there are people that actually really believe that as a solution, uh, as, 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 as a way of healing the society. It's just that there are some that, that, Take advantage of that and, and and enact laws that 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 actually have the opposite effect. But you can sincerely believe, you know, that in a colorblind society. I mean, that's a very very common, you know, uh, you know, comment on on the right wing that they're trying to look towards a colorblind society. Yet their actions. Uh, you know, say something else. And I think it's, it's, it's very, very complex. It's, as you've said, there's there's a lot that goes on to his way they were raised. There's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, white Christian nationalism. Uh, but there, I do believe underneath all of that, there is some sincerity. One other issue, and I'll, I'll stop, uh, on the on the abortion issue. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not for stopping a woman's right to choose, but as a you know as a Christian believer, uh, I'm not for abortion. But do, do, do I do I impose my will on somebody else because I believe that way? So I, I think it's much more complex than what a lot of people do uh, mm. in how they approach the issue of bias. Eric, thanks, man. That, that's a really good uh, foresight from you. Um, Kevin, what do you think about what Eric just stated before we go to the next caller? Oh, well, Eric, I, pr- I appreciate you sharing. I would definitely say, let me highlight one thing that you said, the, um, the, the colorblind issue, right? I often tell people that if all cars, all plants, 
and you know all nature was the same color it'd be very boring color is a beautiful thing <laughs> diversity sure is a beautiful would. thing and it, it it excites us right uh however the only problem is and this is what i push back on people that say that uh to the same way you have a pushback to them is when you start valuing or devaluing someone based off their color is when we start having a problem because normally your bias is kicking in which is why you'll change someone's value based off what you see but color itself is a beautiful thing i do agree with you as well in saying that it is easier said than done the hard work to dismantling a bias undoing that bias is very very difficult it takes a lot of self-reflection let's be honest a lot of adults especially want to feel validated and confirmed in their bias they don't want to challenge and they don't want to own that they were wrong kevin i, I think you're absolutely right um guys again the phone lines are open kevin dixie is my guest and we're talking battling your bias i mean this is a complicated guys in terms of race religion um, we just had Eric call in and he talked about you know, colorblind society. Why do some people believe that? Maybe some inherently do believe that would make things different. He talked about uh, raised the point of abortion. Like, How do we address that? I mean, if you unpack the bias thing, can that help us sort of move in a better direction overall? I don't have an answer to that. But Kevin Dixie, my guest, is trying to help us break it all down. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey guys, welcome back to the Sir Michael Singleton Show. We're talking about battling your bias. Kevin Dixie is my guest, and boy, this is such a fascinating uh, topic. Thomas, we have some more calls on the line. Tell me who we have next. We got uh, Mike from Los Angeles. He wants to talk about lyrics in hip hop. All right, Mike, welcome to the show. And guys, by the way, Thomas is, is is a new producer to the show. So if you're wondering why it's a little slow and you're hearing our other guy who's sort of training Thomas and he's saying speak, it's because Thomas is new. Uh, so we want to uh, welcome Thomas to the show uh, here at Urban View. We believe empowering people uh, of our community and our community. And we're happy to have this brother a part of the Urban View team. Uh, but let's go to our next caller. Welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, uh, brother Sure, Michael. Hey, man. Kevin. And yeah, Thomas, Thomas did a great job. Good job, Thomas. Hang in there, brother. You'll get it straight. <laughs> That's right. That's hey, right. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, okay, Sean Michael and, and uh, Kevin, I want to address you, brothers. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm 59, so maybe I maybe I sound like an old cat, but I heard you guys mention how uh, brother Kevin's son listens to hip hop, and he's outstanding, upstanding citizen, and I love that. That's that's a, that's a blessing, good for him. And then he, he mentioned the movie Terminator, how he he didn't go out and kill anybody. Neither did I, and neither neither did I uh, go out and gangbang and all this stuff with the hip hop I hear. But if you go, if you fast forward nowadays, hip hop, the the elephant in the room or the most prevalent word used in any hip hop song, and I say I'm placing emphasis on the word any. Any mm -hmm. hip hop song is always the N word. I want you know, and we obviously know what word I'm talking about, but I I try not to use that word. And my question to you two brothers is that word shows a subconscious perpetual hate that we have for ourselves it's a, it's a 
word of hate. They used to hang our ancestors by trees. And now I, I sound like a hypocrite if I said I've never used it. I did use it when I was younger. I used it sparingly. I, I wasn't able to use it in the home. But now, Brother Show Michael and Brother Kevin, they use it in barbershops. I hear people use it at the store. I hear kids say it in front of their parents. I hear uh, officers use it. It's, it's just It's just out of control. And my question is, do you guys think this is a hindrance to our, our people because I would suggest we subject uh, we uh, substitute the word the N word for brother and that would show much love it would convey more love and I, I'm, I know you brothers probably don't use it a lot you may use it sparingly but like I said the hip hop music now it's not even about hip hop it's about how many times to me and maybe again I'm, I'm too old but I like to hear you guys opinion mm-hmm. if you turn on any hip hop song that N-word is prevalent, and I just wonder why. Are they exploiting us, or is this just the norm I should accept, and I'm too old? Mike, 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 don't hang up. Don't hang up. Hang, hang on. You know, that, I'm not, I'm not, that, that's I'm an interesting—I'm going to let Kev reply, but I'm just quickly going to say, I, I think it was Meek Mill, the rapper Meek Mill, who's from uh, Philly originally, stated in an interview, I think a couple months ago, this was like viral on social media, he said that if you try to rap about positive things, pertaining to our community or you try to encourage positive behavior in our community record labels don't want that they they will only promote they will only pay they will only elevate a hip-hop artist who are you know sort of painting this negative picture who are using negative language uh, and, and and you can we could you know have a conversation or debate about is this a purposeful thing or or are they doing that because they just know what sells? But one could also say, well, but if you were to change it over time, people would start liking the more positive, more affirmational type of hip hop. So so I don't know, man. I think you might be onto something, Mike. Kevin, go, go ahead and respond uh, to Mike's question. Uh, I mean, one, Mike, I would say I don't think it's an old man's concern as you're leading to. <laughs> I think it's um, a concern everybody has. I would say this. One, uh, looking at the evolution of music, I think a lot of individuals use that particular word for lack of skills, just to be flat out honest with you. I believe it fills in a lot of blanks and it makes up for a lack of lyrical ability to be able to perform and provide a good product. One. Two, um, I agree with what Mick Mill said. If you are putting out music like a gentleman, uh, the real Simba, he puts out a ton of positive music. Um, even J. Cole, music is very positive. These guys aren't promoted. They aren't pushed as much uh, because the record labels want what's going to be easy to feed to the audience and what's going to keep the sheep dumb. And so the powers to be are going to push out what they know they can get a quick return on investment from. They're not worried about community empowerment. If they were, they would have, you know, more old school KRS-One playing on the radio, uh, public enemy. They want these kids, some of them with a lack of talent, to go out and say, just say this, just get paid. You know, and I don't mean to call out any artist in particular, but you look at an artist like Sexy Red, right? That's not lyrical ability. That's somebody that's saying something silly and reckless. And what is that doing to our female population, right? The girls that don't have an influence, but the music. So I think it is more of a, a design that is taking advantage of people that don't have the ability to convey a message like a Nas or a Jay-Z or some of these guys that are real lyricists, like a, a Kendrick Lamar or some of these guys. And they're substituting it with what they know is going to draw the people and what will continue to spread in our community to not only dumb us down, but make us think that we are all violent animals and that we are violent inwards. And that's all we, we should aspire to be. And thus we should, you know, buy the music, stream the music and let that be our reality. That's just my take on it. Mike, before we let you go, any, any other comments? Yes, I, I'm, I'm so happy because uh, 
Brother Kevin just corroborated what I was saying because I felt like, you know, being my age, I was like, man, why do I hear this word so constantly? But he brought up, you know, KRS-One, Public Enemy. You know, brothers like that, Kumo D, even LL Cool J, I mean, I don't know what your purpose is in rap or hip-hop, but what I'm saying is they didn't have to use those words, and they were hugely popular. And my last thing I would like to, you know, make you guys think about, it's a trip. Don't, don't you, I don't know how old you brothers are, but growing up in my teens, you know, Parliament Funkadelic, George Clinton, that was the lick. You know, that, that was the music we all listened to, we loved. And, again, I'm not a racist, you know, I, I'm not trying to make this a black and white thing, but white people never listened. They, they categorized our music as funk or hip-hop. I mean, I'm sorry, our funk is R&B, and then they had pop. But white people weren't, weren't all into Parliament and Funkadelic. It might have been a few, but overwhelmingly it was black people in Parliament and Funkadelic. But as soon as Snoop and Dre and Cube started rapping over Parliament Funkadelic and had the N-word every other three words, white people just loved it. They start buying the music like they were out of their mind. So I just want you to know that's food for thought for all the listeners. Think about it, y'all. We, we don't have to use that word and – and brothers like Kevin and Sherman Michael on the airways trying to convey that to you, uh, you know, there's, we can make money and be successful being positive. Let's just all try to be positive. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be some kumbaya thing, but, you know, we ain't got to use that N word. Let's try to get that. Let's, let's make an effort to try to get that out of our vocabulary. Again, it ain't, we ain't going to be perfect. You might stub your toe and say this, or you see somebody in traffic, this bleep, bleep, bleep. But, you know, let's just make a concerted effort as, as black people to call each other brothers and sisters as opposed to using that N-word. Thank you, brother. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you, Mike. Mike out of Los Angeles. Thank we, you, Mike. we appreciate your calls. Again, guys, the phone lines are open, 866-801-8255. Again, that's 866-801-8255. Kev, we, we had an interesting conversation during the break, the two-and-a-half-minute break. You brought up something in terms of the science, and it was something else you said about, was it learned behavior, I believe, uh, in terms of personal bias or battling your bias sort of get into that in the last few minutes that we have left on the show well one thing that people have to remember is we're using the word bias uh but what's the root to the word bias and it's prejudice Mm. so when you start looking at more of the science behind it and you look at the prejudice a lot of times prejudice is confused as being racist or another ism right but prejudice is what prejudice is and so when you look at how prejudice cements and becomes a bias it is because you have seen a thing you have been fed a thing your environment has conditioned you a particular way and now that prejudice is going to come to life and it's going to become a a roadmap to how you navigate the things that you have a prejudice that now turn into a bias against things so for example uh, just to use race as an easy thing if i am a white kid that grew up in rural america in a town of 300 people and there were no black people around. And the only time in my household that we have conversations about black America is when we talk about violence in the news. Right. To say I'm seven and I heard that from seven to 15. The only time we bring up black people is when it's something violent happening in the news. Well, that prejudice is going to sink in. So what happens the first time that I go to the big city and I start seeing a lot of black people? I'm going to be on heightened alert. I'm going to believe that what I believe to be true about them makes them dangerous, 
So how am I going to communicate? If a black guy just walks up to me that might fit the thug image because of his fashion, how am I going to respond defensively? And then when I respond defensively, what might his bias or prejudice about me be saying to him? Mm. Oh, white people are racist. Because look at how you're acting. And I like to tell people, normally when you are meeting someone and you're talking to them, you might spend two to three years talking to someone before you really get to meet them. Because in the beginning, you're talking to all their preconceived notions, their biases, their prejudices, and their stereotypes. You're talking to all of that before you can break through and really get to know the real person. Because they have to share that and you have to break through it. But that's how it continues. Think about it. People from opposing worlds now all of a sudden are clashing with these built-in prejudices about each other. And Lord forbid if you do something that confirms it, which takes us back to the, the dreaded part about bias. The most dangerous part of bias is confirmation bias. It is the most dangerous thing. Oh, I always thought, you know, people that were six feet tall with green hair were murderers. Right. They are absolute murders. You need to treat them as such. And then you happen to turn on the news and a six foot tall guy with green hair just murdered, you know, three kids at the park. Hmm. Well, guess what? Now your bias is confirmed. So if you see a black guy on TV, on the news, shooting at somebody or robbing somebody, now your bias is confirmed. So now it becomes more cemented into who you are. So, Kev, we got about more because now you have validation. So, Kev, we have about, I don't know, three, four minutes left. Get into as quickly as you can, and I have three minutes left. I know this is kind of hard, but as quickly as you can, the learned behavior component of the bias and confirmation bias. Your learned behavior is what you see and what you can confirm on a daily basis, right? So if I'm around the community, and let's say it's against my own, and I am, I'm being told that, you know, everybody that stays on this block is part of this gang, and they do these things that are against us. Well, that behavior is going to become trained in me and ingrained in me. So when I see somebody from that block that might do that thing, I am not looking to dispel it. I'm looking to confirm it. So I am going to justify everything that I do or think about you to myself because I want to be able to validate and be sure in what I'm believing. That's how I'm learning it. Oh, I was told that you guys like to uh, rob people. Well, you were looking at me kind of funny when I was walking by your street on my way to the corner store. So I do believe that you rob people. I'm learning this behavior. I'm planting it into my conscious mind. This is not something subconsciously that's happening. I am literally taking notes, taking it, and planting it consciously in my mind. That's how I'm learning. It's the same way you learn in school. Kev. You have to pay attention, learn the thing, and then execute on it. So I am looking at a thing, learning this behavior on my mm -hmm. own, taking my own notes, and that's what I'm going to give society back out. That is my learned behavior. Or worse, it's somebody else's behavior that is then coaching me. Yeah. To Kev, believe it. Kev, we got about a minute and something left. A minute left. Where can people follow you? And I know the book is coming out soon. Give us all of your website, social media, et cetera. Real quick, because I got seconds sure, man. left. I appreciate, I appreciate the time. The website is no other choice. Uh, dot com. This is the name of my firearms training company, no other choice dot com. On all your social media platforms, you can look me up the real R E A L N O C. The real N O C. I'm most active on Instagram, but you can follow me on all platforms and please engage with me. I'm very personal and I look forward to interacting with everyone. Kevin Dixie, we appreciate it. This is the Sure Michael Singleton Show. Battle your personal bias. Think about this, guys. Talk about it with your family and friends and see how you can make a difference. Don't go anywhere. The Reese Cobra Show is coming up right after this. I'm Sure Michael Singleton. See you next week. Take care.